We come to study God's Word together. And as you know, we are busy with our series on why do we love the local church. And we get to our third message in the series. And it's, it's, a, it's been wonderful for me to slow down and think about this. And then especially today's message as we think about the privilege we have of talking to God together. Now, if you look at the book of Acts, you know that we have a lot of history about the early church recorded in the book of Acts. And when you read the initial chapters, you see that after the birth of the church at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter was a man that was on fire. I mean, he's preaching Jesus and how the people rejected him and murdered him, but also how, how God raised him from the dead and vindicated him and all the claims he made about himself. And all of this is happening in a context in chapter 3 where God just miraculously healed this poor man who was sitting outside the temple who had nothing, not even the function of his legs. What the author Luke is trying to help us see is that Peter is doing all of this, preaching and all of these miracles in the name of Jesus. But you know what? Not everyone was happy about the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus wasn't very popular. All this Christ-centered preaching and miraculous healings annoyed the authorities and the religious leaders. And so in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, they get arrested because of preaching Jesus. And they were interrogating Peter and John And the apostles, what do they do? They just keep on pointing people back to Jesus. And so eventually the authorities are like, we're going to let you guys go, but here's the thing. You can't do all this stuff in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John hear that and they're like, yeah, that's not going to happen. The authorities are threatening and threatening There's this great tension when it comes to talking about Jesus and His church. But then eventually these men are let go. Peter and John were released and they go back to their friends and they tell them what happened. They tell them what they are not allowed to do. And so more and more there was this growing opposition against the followers of Jesus. And what is it that they did as soon as they were together? Acts 4, verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Their immediate reaction to this opposition about the truth of Jesus and the church and this gospel of grace was for people of God to gather and pray. Now look at the results of this prayer time together verse 31 and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered together was shaken i mean talk about a powerful prayer meeting right the building is shaking we're busy with our series of why we are considering why we love the local church and thus far we've seen that we love the church because god loves the church 
and why we pray together. Because if we understand why we should pray together and how we should pray together, it's going to make us want to pray together as a church family. And so let's start with the why. Why do we pray together as a church? In other words, why is it good for God's people to pray and talk to God together? Now again, if we turn to the book of Acts, you notice that prayer was this natural occurrence in the life of the early church. I mean, you see it in Acts one twelve, where the disciples gathered to pray and ask God for wisdom and leading and choosing a replacement for Judas. Then in fact, in Acts 2.42, you see by that time, it was already part of the, the church's general rhythm. Luke writes and says, Acts 2.42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words, the early church were devoted people. They were devoted here, and, and it can be described as to persevere faithfully. Persevering faithfully. And one of the aspects that the early church was focusing on is not just the preaching of God's Word, or taking communion, or the sweet time of fellowship, but they were serious about praying. Chapter 6. The leaders are not only praying for the selection of certain men in the church to serve as deacons, but in setting these men apart for the office of deacons and caring for the needs of the people in the church, it helped the other leaders to focus on the ministry of the Word and what? And prayer. Later in chapter 12, the church is being persecuted again. Reading from verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized them, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But what? But earnest prayer for him was made by God for to God by the church. The church was praying for Peter. And you know what? God was busy answering that prayer because then the angel comes and helps Peter to escape from prison. And Peter himself isn't sure what's actually happening here. Is this some sort of vision or dream, or is this actually real? But then the angel leaves him, and he notices that this is real. I'm out. I'm free. And what is the first thing that Peter does? Verse 12 says, When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. The church was praying and praying for Peter to get out of prison, and God has answered that prayer. So Peter goes to the people who are praying for him. He knocks at the door, and one of the servant girls comes and opens the door, and she hears his voice, and she immediately knows it's Peter. 
And she's so happy, so full of joy and amazement. She runs to tell the church, Peter's out of prison. He's here. And how did they respond? Acts 12, 15. Girl, you are out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Clearly they were not expecting God to answer that prayer so quickly. But though they go to the door themselves and they open and they see Peter standing there and how God has miraculously answered their prayers. But you can imagine as a church how that just strengthened their faith even more. Next chapter, chapter 13. The church is getting ready to send out Paul and Barnabas as missionaries before they go out. What is it that the church does? Acts 13.3 Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What I want you to see is that when the early church was gathering to pray, stuff was happening. God was listening. And God was responding to their prayers. The church was not only learning more about God through the biblical preaching of His Word, they totally leaned on God by persevering in prayer together. By talking to God together. In fact, when you look at the Old Testament, you notice that many times when Men like Noah and Moses were interceding on behalf of the people before God. It created the context for corporate prayer. In other words, as one man says, the the very need for intercession gives life to what we call corporate prayer. And what he means by that is that corporate prayer exists because God has determined to give us His peace-restoring promises through a middleman, a mediator. And so we think about the role of the high priest in Leviticus 16. You have the high priest who are interceding and praying on behalf of the people as they are confessing their sins in prayer. Joshua intercedes for the people when Achan sins in Joshua 7, and he appeals to God's great name as the reason to continue with the mission. And later, Samuel intercedes for the nation when they wanted a new king, 1 Samuel 8. And then as you get to the prophets, God says that He's actually not interested in listening to faithless prayers. Isaiah 1.15 When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Because there's a kind of praying that God is not interested in. A kind of praying where people live in rebellion against God and only do what they want to do, but they still pray and expect God to listen and respond to them. And so then later in the Psalms, Again, you have this context of corporate prayer and worship where the psalmist is crying out to God on behalf of the people. Psalm 44, the psalmist is using words like we and and our as he's talking to God. So in verse 23 he says, Awake! 
Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. These people were really wanting God to hear them and help them. And they want God to respond to their prayers. But this time they have to appeal to His steadfast love. They appeal to His character as they seek mercy from God. Then further in Ezra 10, you see how Ezra is praying to God and the people gather and He leads them in this time of corporate repentance. And so what the Old Testament does, it creates this picture of corporate prayer where someone is interceding for others where the people plead that God would act for the sake of His name and that He would do that by saving His chosen nation Israel through the judgment of their enemies. And so much of this praying together is done through a mediator. Someone praying on behalf of the people and leading the people in prayer. So when you look at this, all this from praying in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we notice that praying together is important. It's important. So why do we pray together? Because in praying together, we don't assume we have the wisdom. We ask God for the wisdom we need for so many things in life and in the life of the church, like appointing leaders and sending out leaders. And praying together, we see there's added power in numbers. Rather than just praying alone, we come together and we strengthen our prayers like when the church was praying for the release of Peter. When the people of God wanted Him to hear them and remember them and come to their aid like we saw in Psalm 44. Because praying together also reminds us that we need each other. Praying together reminds us that we need each other. When I'm going through something difficult in my life, like a significant trial or some kind of suffering, I might struggle to have the words of talking with God. But when I pray with other believers who are praying with me and for me, they intercede for me, and through their prayers they pick me up and they carry me to God. Sometimes as we pray here at church, we will pray for the leaders of our country. We will pray for the advancement of the gospel. We will pray and confess our sins to God. And so when one of the leaders of the church is praying with us and for us, they are talking to God with the aim of leading us to His throne of grace. Because praying together reminds us that we need Jesus But more importantly, praying together reminds us that we have Jesus. Romans 8.34 Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? God's people 
have always needed someone to intercede for them because with all of our sin, we can't approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's why Piper says, every sinful person needs a mediator to speak on their behalf whose words we can make our own. And so as we think of Jesus, we recognize that those who have been called by God and on a true saving relationship with Jesus can approach God in prayer alone or together with great confidence because we know who is in fact interceding for us right now. We know Jesus takes our feeble words and makes them beautiful words before the Father. That is why Paul could write to the church in Colossians 4.2 and say, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He's like, you can confidently pray all the time as you gather together by being watchful of your own hearts and alert to the, the dangers and the desires that want to distract you and focus on what you can be thankful for. Because as we pray together, we pray and talk to God about what we are thankful for. And the more and more we hear all of these things that we are thankful for, we stir up worship in each other's hearts. As we especially remember what Jesus has done for us in taking away our sin. Last, last week we said that people develop itching ears for the kind of teaching that suit their own passions. Do you know what? When we pray together and we are praying the way God wants us to pray, then we help each other to keep our eyes and our hearts on the true gospel of grace. The gospel that says that I cannot earn God's favor any way and any shape or form by myself. A gospel that says that everything I've done this week Everything that I've done that has not been pleasing and honoring to the Lord deserves condemnation. But then comes Jesus interceding for us. Before He intercedes for us in our prayers, He intercedes for us by going to the cross. Paying the judgment that we deserved. And so Paul says, gather and pray. Pray boldly. Pray confidently. Come to the throne of grace because Jesus is interceding for you. Remind each other as you pray about the sweetness of the gospel. Because when we help each other to remember the gospel as we pray, we help each other remember who we are talking to and what we are talking about. Because not only do we want to know why we should pray together, we also want to know how we should pray together. In his book on prayer, John Unuchekwa makes a helpful point that when people gather to pray on Sundays or in any other corporate prayer setting, the goal is not just to be sitting on the bench. 
In other words, when we are praying together, as someone else is praying in the group or in front or behind the pulpit, we are called to participate in that prayer. Because in corporate prayer, we teach each other how to engage with God. Every time we pray together, we teach each other how to pray and engage with God. And as we look at Scripture, then you will see there are many, but at least four types of prayer that are described for us and displayed in the Bible. I actually think you can argue for a few more than these four, but this gives us a good framework and what we're aiming for when we are praying together. And I'm sure that many of you perhaps have already heard of the Acts model when it comes to praying. Not the book of Acts, but the acronym Acts, A-C-T-S. And I think this is a simple yet very biblical way for us to pray together, to have some structure as we come to God in prayer. Now what does Acts stand for? A stands for adoration. C stands for confession. T stands for thanksgiving. And S stands for supplication. So let me quickly run through one by one of these aspects of prayer. Firstly, adoration. What is the aim here with adoration? See, with adoration, we are slowing down to recognize who we are talking to. Before we start thinking and asking God to do something, we are praising God for who He is. You are essentially praying and saying that, God, I adore you because of who you are. Like what the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 1-3, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. We actually see that when the corporate prayer meeting was happening between John and Peter and and their friends back in Acts chapter 4, that they prayed and they started that prayer with adoration. Acts 4.24 again. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said what? Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You see, they started their prayer with the right view of God. Because the fact that He is sovereign and powerful has helped them as they think about persecution. Because He has the power to create everything in the heavens and on earth and in the sea, which is significant for them to pray this time because of all this tension and persecution against their faith in Him. And so as they're praying together and adoring God together and praising God for who He is, they are reminding each other in that moment that even as the authorities and the religious leaders are trying to stop them, God is still in control of all the details. That all His mightiness is expressed in creation. We can see it. That everything is under His control. And because God is so mighty and powerful, it helps the church to realize what a privilege it is to be able to talk to Him. 
So not only do we come boldly to God because of Jesus interceding for us, we come humbly. When we adore God for who He is, it makes us humble people. So the focus in our prayer of praise is to remember who God is first and not just what He has done for us. We are praising Him for His goodness, His holiness, His unchangingness, His wisdom, His justice, His inability to overlook sin, and His inability to lie about what He has said He would do. And so as we unpack the character of God in our prayers of adoration and praise, we help each other remember who the God is that we worship. And it helps us grow in our love for Him and who He is. Which then leads to our prayers of confession. Confession. Because the natural response to reflecting and talking to God about His holiness and His amazing character is to see more of your own sinfulness. In Psalm 25, the psalmist gives us words that we can pray when we're confessing our sins to God. Verses 10 to 11. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. For Your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Because you see, for the psalmist, he talks about the fact that God is steadfast in His love and in His faithfulness towards who do what He says. And as we reflect on all the ways that we did not obey God, it causes God's people to confess their sins to Him. For Your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. And so as we pray together, it is good for us to slow down and think what it is that is actually bothering us. What is heavy on our hearts? What is it that's causing us not to obey God and keep His commandments? Where have we fallen short and where specifically do we need to confess our sins and ask for His forgiveness? Because here's the thing, as we hear people around us confess their sins to God, it might help us to realize, yes God, that is me as well. Maybe I've been blind to this this week. But as I hear other people confess their sin, yes, God, that is me as well. I also need to confess that sin. Because as we get into our time of prayer, of confessing our sins together, we are reminding each other where we have placed our hope instead of placing it in Jesus. Where we're looking for joy apart from Jesus. And instead of thinking, hey, that person is so full of sin, we recognize that as we pray and confess our sins together, we all need grace. There's no room for self-righteousness. We all need Jesus and His grace. Which means we all need to be more gracious with one another because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so confession as a church is important because it reminds us that we are not as great as we think we are. 
But we have someone greater who is steadfast in His love and faithful to forgive us our sins. Because as we confess our sins, we remind each other that someone had to die in order for us to be forgiven of our sins. Jesus had to endure great suffering for us so that we don't have to pay for our sins. And recognizing that usually then flows in time into a time of what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. I like how Onuchekwa says, he says, the only proper response to grace is gratitude. The only proper response to grace is gratitude. In 2 Corinthians 4-2, Paul wrote to the church and said, But thanks be to God, who in Christ has always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I mean, the church is to be thankful for so many things, but sometimes it's hard for people to stop and think what they are actually thankful for. Try this with your kids sometime. Just ask them what they're thankful for. It might take a few minutes. Paul is thanking God specifically for Christ leading His people in victory. And now the church is the sweet fragrance of who He is to those around Him. 1 Chronicles 16, 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. You see, at any given time, we can thank God for His love toward us, and that love is never going to run out. Even though things don't go the way you want them to go, or even when we see how truly sinful we are, we can thank God that His love is steady and it will last forever. And so praying with thanksgiving helps us then to look at our circumstances and instead of grumbling about it, we can cultivate hearts of gratitude, recalling all the blessings we have in Christ. Because even the smallest problem we have, if we keep focusing in on it, can make the reality of what to be thankful for to to disappear. I mean, imagine I take a small coin and I just put that small coin in front of my eye and I look up to the sun. I can block out something as massive as the sun with that coin. And in the same way, our problems can cause us to block out how awesome God is if we just keep dwelling on them. And so when we're praying with thankfulness together, we are helping each other remember that there is more to life than our problems. There's more to life than what we did or did not get. Because we help each other remember what we do have. And then finally, supplication. Supplication. After we have slowed down to adore God for who He is and remembering who we are talking to, and after we have confessed our sins and thanked Him for His grace in Jesus, we come to God and ask Him for His help. To the church in Philippi, Paul wrote and said in the well-known verse, Philippians 4, 5-6, 
The Lord is at hand. So what? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I mean, there's the Acts model in one verse, right? Which Paul is saying, stop worrying, church. Jesus is coming back soon. So get on your knees together and pray and remember what you are to be thankful for and then let your request be made known to God. He wants you to ask Him. Ask Him for His help. Ask Him for what you need. With a heart full of worship and what you've prayed for, ask Him for what you need. Maybe as a church we realize we want to be a better witness for Jesus. And we recognize that some of us struggle with our time and how we interact with other people. And so we pray Colossians 4, 5 and ask God to help us. We say, Father, may we walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of our time. Let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how we ought to answer each person. Maybe there are people in the church who are really sick and we pray for God's healing and restoration and renewed strength in their life. We pray that God will help us to suffer well. We pray together that God will cause His gospel and His church to flourish in how we love each other and serve His kingdom purposes. And we bring our request to God and we can pray for big things like having our own church facility in the name of Jesus Trusting God for His timing. Because as we pray in line with the Scriptures and the will of God, we strengthen our faith as we ask God for His help together. I mean, look again at the prayer of the church in Acts 4. Not only did they start the prayer with helping each other remember that God is sovereign and in control, and even faced with opposition... They are busy quoting Scripture, verses 25 to 26. They're talking about Psalm 2. Because they refer to what God has already said, and they pray, therefore, in line with His Word. Which is like praying for God to do what He said He would do. But then look at what comes next. Next comes the supplication. Look at what they're asking God. I mean, there's all this persecution and tension towards the Christian church and preaching Jesus. And you would expect people to be asking for protection against the authorities, right? But what are they asking for? Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They're asking God in light of His sovereign rule to grant them the boldness they need to keep on preaching Jesus even when it will be hard. And God was so pleased with that kind of praying and asking because they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the building started to shake. And so as we come together and pray, 
We recognize that we can pray in a way that fills my brother and sister next to me with biblical hope. We can pray in a way that helps the brother and sister next to me remember God's promises and that He will always keep His promises. Which, if we think about it then, has some implications for us as we do pray together. So let me just mention a few as we close. When we are praying together, it teaches us to listen. It teaches us to listen. It teaches us to listen to the person who is praying with me and for me and then recognize that praying out loud is not about being arrogant or having all these fancy, eloquent words, but it teaches us to be humble and listen carefully and pray carefully and link arms with brothers and sisters who are talking with God to God with me. Praying together then also teaches us that our hearts are not always the most reliable guide. Our hearts are not always the most reliable guide. We need others to intercede for us. We need others to praise God for us and confess sin with us because I don't always see what is going on in my own heart. Which means praying together can also mean that we can pray big, right? We can pray big because there is power in praying together as a church. And so if this is why and how we pray together, then hopefully now you would agree with me, we need to pray together. The church needs to pray together. I mean, Jesus, He went off to pray alone often, but He also loved to pray with His disciples. And He was praying with them, He was teaching them how to pray. So even as we consider the Lord's Prayer, how does Jesus say we have to pray? My Father in heaven? Or does He say our Father in heaven? Give us my daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Praying has always had a corporate influence because God wants His church to pray together. So let's pray now and then after we sing a song, we're actually going to do this. We're going to pray together and I'll lead us in the time of that. So let's pray. Father God, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You so much that we see that we love the church because in the church we can pray together. We can talk with you together. Even now, Lord, as I'm praying, I'm praying with the church and, and leading the church in this time of prayer. We're not expecting people to just sit there and, and tune out and not listen and think about what's going to come for lunch. But, Lord, we are praying together. We come to you as the God of all creation. We come to you, Jesus, as the head of this church. We come to you, God, as the one who has this amazing plan for the church. And Father, our hearts get filled up with, with so much joy and so much worship as we think about who you are, the God whose love never runs out, the God who displays his love for us and sending his own Son. 
the God who was willing to crucify His Son so that we can be forgiven. So Father, we do confess that we do not love You like we should. We do confess, Lord, that we have thought thoughts this week, we have done things this week that have not been honoring to You. We confess that we are weak. That the desires of our flesh are real. Father, we confess that we get angry. And we use our words and ways to harm others. And so we ask that you would forgive us. And we thank you for Jesus. takes our sin as far as the east is from the west who cleanses us completely clothes us in righteousness intercedes for us and takes our feeble words and make them worshipful words before you and so father we ask we pray that you would make us a church that prays make us a church that carries one another's burdens together Make us a church that shapes each other in how we worship You. Make us a church that, that is just bursting with thankfulness for all that You are doing in our midst. Make us a church that, as the church in Acts prayed, we pray for boldness, Lord, for boldness to keep proclaiming the truth about Jesus, our Savior. And Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.